I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Where did this ferocious determination out there today come from? The media. Every one of them brought us up. This is Paper Talk, the Irish Examiner GAA podcast. Hello there and welcome to Paper Talk, the Irish Examiner's Championship podcast. Well, there's no lack of talking points from the weekend's action as Kerry, Dublin and Donegal all claim provincial titles at a canter. Our starting point is Saturday night in Porky Cueve, where Kerry hammered their Cork hosts. Tony Lean was there. Tony, did you see that one coming? I think there was a fear, Colm, certainly. If there was one anxiety... um, amongst the Cork management, I suspect it would have been the fact that a tonking from Kerry undid the progress that they had made. You know, I mean, at this stage, Cork football has been desperately searching for a bit of momentum. And they finally got a bit of momentum with that win in Thurlis against Tipperary. There was so much to admire about the performance, I would stress, more than the result. And... Unfortunately, they're back to square one again now to some degree, you know. Um, And Ronan McCarthy, after the game Saturday night, said, we now get to see what we're made of. There's all this talk about character and three-year terms. And Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in three-year terms. He said, like, I need to see, I need to get results. We need to make progress this year. And certainly what happened on Saturday night is a major, major dent to the progress but the ironic and the funny thing about this is one result changes all that and I remember we probably said something very similar last year when they were preparing to meet Mayo in the qualifiers in Limerick and that was the disappointment for Padder Healy's management and his management team I felt that they were just beginning to turn the corner with that result so realistically what Ronan McCarthy badly needs now is favourable draw if that's doable and obviously Armagh and Clare the winners of would be the most favourable draw to get in the last round of the qualifiers and if they do if they get that 170 70 odd minutes right Cullum they're in the super eights and therefore you can you can actually almost guarantee that it's a progressive campaign then tomorrow evening Tuesday Cork will probably come back. The players have been back at home, back at the clubs, listening to all the criticisms, listening to all the the pub experts. Mm -hmm. You arrive back into training. You're Ronan McCarthy. What's the first thing you say to the 30 lads facing you? That you don't even dare to look back. It was one of those nights, and we have all been involved in games, both as players, maybe are on the sideline, where a game just gets away from you. you. You make a plan... The plan doesn't work. The personnel, you know, are beaten, you know, in their individuals. And it just gets away from you. And Kerry, unfortunately, or unfortunately for Cork at least, are a side that they can put a big number on you uh, in a hurry. They're like Dublin in that regard. And certainly you've got to admire 
Kerry's attitude the last night in terms of putting the foot down and going for broke. So from Ronan McCarthy's point of view, he's got to basically start now. He has a very short window, and I actually think that's an advantage. That he has a very short window to get them prepped now for the round four qualifier. Obviously, Colm, they don't know who they're playing yet, and that's a small disadvantage. They only will have a week to prepare. What I imagine will happen is he will sit down with his management and he will send one to each of the four venues next Saturday night. And I believe, and I said it in the examiner uh, uh, this morning, I really believe that the best thing that Cork can do in the qualifiers is get out of Cork. Because I think that they would be haunted by what happened in front of 30,000 people, most of them their own people, on Saturday night in Parky Cueve. And they will know that they once again, they've let the support down. So what they need to do is get on the road, literally and metaphorically. I actually think whether they have to go to Clonus or Limerick or Carrick and Shannon or Newbridge or wherever they end up in round four of the qualifiers and they are neutral venues, I actually think that that will work to Ronan McCarthy's advantage. Of course he will do video review, of course he will identify certain things, but it's got to be one of those nights that you don't dwell on for too long. Okay, but you talk about games getting away from you, but you look at Cork the last night, like, you know, two admittedly freakish goals in the opening 10 minutes. Mm. Surely... They should have pushed on from that. It was postponing, unfortunately, the inevitable. I mean, without getting you know into into too much detail here. I mean, Cork ended up basically, in my view, being caught between a rock and a hard place. The problem with them actually bringing so many players. I, I actually think, for starters, the, the Cork side that played, it's very difficult to get the balance right, and certainly in terms of their attacking options. The, sorry, I should have said their actual scoring options, they were very limited. That's the first point, and you park it for a moment. Secondly, the fact, if you were going to set up like they were, two things. Number one, you were inviting Kerry to press on. Number two, even when you are getting possession, you're actually you're, you're 80, 90 yards from where you want to be. Your half-forward line, and Paddy Kelly explained this very well too, your half-forward line is so busy actually going backwards that you end up with 60, 70 yards of green grass. And that's an awful long way to go when you have Kerry's tackling. And one of the big insights for me, I don't know, is it James Weldon? I don't know, is it Eamon Fitzmaurice? I don't know which of the coaching team it is. But one of the most fascinating aspects for me of Kerry last Saturday night was their voracious tackling, not just individual tackling. It was in packs of two and three. And every time they were like literally like scavengers on the floor. And that to me was a new departure. I haven't seen Kerry do that too much. So all those things combined meant that Cork had very little momentum with the ball. They just couldn't get their hands on the ball for any length of time. And even when they did, they were very limited in what they could do to trouble the Kerry defence. Another factor which struck me before the match was in the parade and watching each of the opposing players. And it looked that the Kerry players were physically more developed. Even the younger players, the mm. likes of David Clifford, for example, were physically more developed. So is, is this all part of the new Kerry Centre of Excellence development squad process that they're playing catch-up on, on, on the likes yeah, of Tyrone, etc.? I'm, sure I'm not too sure how much it has to do with the, with the actual physical bricks-and-mortar centre of excellence, but it certainly has to do with the changes 
and the change up again that Eamon Fitzmaurice has made. Eamon Fitzmaurice gets an awful lot of flack in his own county. I, I, I don't know of a Kerry manager who didn't get flack. I would say a lot of it has been unfair. Yes, himself and his management team have made bad individual decisions, I believe, against Dublin twice and against Mayo last year. But leaving those individual moments aside, in terms of the bigger picture, I think he has been brilliant in terms of prepping Kerry, bringing through these players and actually give you know those little add-ons that I mentioned about tackling, about physique, about conditioning, about strength, about power, about pace. You've got to add all those to the mix with your Sean O'Shea talents and your David Clifford talents or else you in the modern football you just get blown out of the water physically and that is the problem. So as well as the progress and everybody has been talking about all oh, these miners have come through so quickly and they're such talents but they actually have to have the physical capabilities to match that. So the strength and conditioning program that Kerry have employed, certainly in the last 12 to 18 months, but I would say particularly in the last six months, you can see marked improvements in them. And you're right, they are doing it with the intention and the target, one target in mind, and that's Jim Gavin's Dublin. And that's with that's no offence to anybody in between, but the bottom line, Eamon Fitzmaurice truly believes that ultimately he is going to have to beat Jim Gavin's Dublin to retain or to regain the All-Ireland for Kerry. You talk about uh, Eamon's attention to detail on on the greater scheme of things, not just on match day. Is it true that Kerry actually had a a run-out in Parky Queen before the final? They did, I understand. They came up, unusual in itself, um, given that it's only an hour up the road, but Kerry actually came up on Friday night. They stayed in Fort Island. No, they, they didn't go, I mean, and these are probably budgetary issues, they didn't go on a foreign training camp or any kind of a training camp this year. So they went up Friday, um, they stayed in FOTA, and credit to Cork County Board, you would say, they were given a run-out in Parky Cueve on Friday night. Now, I don't know, is that something that is that is in the gift of the Cork County Board? Is it something that the Munster Council can oversee and says, yes, the away team is entitled to a run-out? But I'd love to know how many times the Cork football team actually trained last week in Parky Cueve. I'm led to believe that they didn't train there at all. No, you might say to yourself, is that such a big deal? If you're Ronan McCarthy and you're Cork and you're facing Kerry, who are overwhelming favourites, then I think you are looking for every 1% or 2% of an advantage you can get over them. So I don't know. I'm led to believe Cork didn't train there. I think they trained in CIT last week. Um, but certainly it would have been beneficial to Kerry Cullum to go there, to have a run out on the pitch. I was talking to a couple of the Kerry players afterwards and they had said, apart from the Ed Sheeran concert a couple of them had been at, they had never been in Parky Cueve before. So certainly having the run out, having looking around the place Friday night, getting out onto the pitch, I don't think it did Kerry any harm, that's for sure. So it's, it's an interesting little sidebar. A lot of positives, obviously, for Kerry with a a, a record-breaking um, result like that. But some negatives as well. Um, defensively, I think there are issues there that didn't crop up Saturday night. Um, it's an ongoing concern. And again, it's an ongoing concern, particularly with Dublin in mind, because if you are looking that far down the track, Dublin are probably the best side in Ireland for actually running hard and straight and having players off the shoulder and options. 
And it just looked again for me that Kerry, who always know at this stage, go horses for courses, man on man. They did it with Jason Foley the other night on Luke Connolly. They had Peter Crowley, even though I saw somebody, I think it was Peter Crowley, was actually picking up um, Rory Dean. So they like to go horses for courses, and that's fine. But that then means that you don't go zonally in your defence. And if you don't go zonally in your defence and the forwards have the capacity, the opposition forwards have the capacity to drag you out of position, then there is going to be, and there are going to be occasions, where you will literally drive a bus down the middle of the Kerry defence. Now, on Saturday night, it I, I think it was coincidence, because if you see for the second goal, Peter Crowley tripped up, and that's what allowed Rory Dean through. But three times, and two of them led to goals... A Cork player running hard at the Kerry defence went straight through them and created clear goal-scoring opportunities. And they're the type of moments that against better sides will finish you. OK, but is it sticking to the game plan that that inside defender who's marking a man should at least have made a step forward to the yeah. incoming player? It is, yeah. That's, I mean, obviously that's a personal decision um, in the moment for a defender. I mean, that's literally a question of am I leaving my man and gambling on that? I, I actually think the issue, Cullum, is probably a more general structural issue, whereas you almost need a hybrid now between zone and man-to-man defensively at this stage, unless obviously you're going to drop nine or ten players behind midfield, which is a completely different argument. But if you're actually going to operate with six or seven defenders, then I think you need to almost, as I said, have a kind of a cross between a zonal and a man-on-man. But I know certainly that Kerry prefer man-on-man and I don't think they're going to change. You mentioned Rory Dean there. He's two runs, or, well, he kick and run led to the two goals. The uh, entire black card, yellow card debate, you watched it live, you watched it again then on the uh, TV. Was it a black card? Well, I think Brian Gavin, who was far more qualified than me, um, wrote in our paper this morning again that he thinks that Kieran Brannigan got the two Cork black cards wrong. Um, whatever doubt you may have about the Sam Ryan one, and I don't think by the letter of the law it was a black card dragged down offence, I just couldn't see the justification for Rory Dean's mm. black card. There's nothing, and I've read the, the, you know, the, the five or six guidelines that there are for what constitutes a black card offence. There's nothing in there that you could pair up with what Rory Dean did. I mean, he whether you actually say it was a third man tackle, that's even being harsh. I, it looked more to me as he laid off the ball, he kept moving. The Kerry defender was Jason Foley. When, he, when Rory Dean laid off the ball, Jason Foley was literally feet from him. Mm-hmm. And he actually went into him. If you really wanted to sanction him, you could have given him a yellow card, but I'm not even certain it was worth the card. I just thought it was a, a bad decision and it didn't. And Ronan McCarthy didn't even want to make any issue of it afterwards because it had no bearing on the result of the game whatsoever. But it would have been interesting. And I'd think Eamon Fitzmaurice might have even said, I'd like to have seen, would we have got to grips with Rory Dean in the second half had he stayed on yes. because it happened three minutes before half time and he was causing a world of bother and he I saw him the night in Thurless give his best performance in a Cork jersey and he carried that form into the Munster final and I really would have liked to see whether he'd have actually almost been one of the, the, the main you know obstacles to Kerry's 
in the second half. I just think it was a pity what had happened, and I just think it was wrong. Huge car crowd on the night, massive walk up on the uh, on the evening. Do you think that a good performance in the qualifier will help resurrect the the love of the Cork football fan with this Cork football team, or is it going to take much, much no, more? No, I, I think love, even using the word love in the context of the relationship now between the Cork football team and and the, the support in the county, uh, is an exaggeration. It is going to take time to repair a relationship that is, by the way, that has been poor ever before last Saturday night. And as I said, the disappointment with Saturday night was so many, I would say, as you call them, walk-ups, came out of curiosity, number one, but but they wanted to give Rona McCarthy's new regime a second chance. Now, the point I would make to that is, this is still year one of a three-year project. And I know Rona McCarthy, you know, didn't want to even discuss three-year plans. But it is way too soon for me, for you, or for anyone to judge Cork, what Rona McCarthy and his new management team is doing. Remember, there was only six players last Saturday night played in that qualifier against Mayo last year. So you're talking about, it's it's the guts of two, two-thirds, 60% of it is a new team with new players, Sam Ryan getting his debut, Shawnee Potter still to come back. I think what will happen, hopefully, is that they resurrect themselves for the qualifier. They put in a big performance. Hopefully for Ronan McCarthy, they get a win and they get into the Super 8. And then suddenly, obviously, you can generate that momentum I mentioned earlier. But what would be absolutely catastrophic now would be a performance like the one they gave against Kildare in Brian Cuthbert's last game in the qualifiers above in Thurles when they were destroyed. That could not happen. But, but is there a, a, an onus on players to step up yeah, in terms absolutely. of, it, not just from a football perspective, but in terms of leadership? Like you looked at Kerry the last night, Paul Murphy cut out for the opening goal, went on though to mm. have an incredible game, scored two points, I think, in the first half. Where were those players on the cocktail? They're not as good as Kerry. They're nowhere in the same league. Quite oh, no, no, I, I'm oh, not no, saying no. in terms of football. I'm just saying in terms of just pure leadership, yeah. somebody that'll step up, shout instructions, grab the game away, the scruff of the neck. There's no doubt in the world uh, that is badly needed. That is badly needed in any successful setup. And... I don't. There's no point in going back over the mentioning the Canties and the Shields and the Lynches and the Miskillas and all these because those players are gone and Paddy Kelly himself who's writing for us now. The bottom line is, you will see what leaders there are in the Cork setup in two weeks' time. Well, not even in two weeks' time between now and the qualifier. This is the time, and it was interesting. Rona McCarthy, as I said, was very articulate with the print media, but I actually also saw his TV interview, and you could see he had a real grimace on his face when he says, you know, he was talking to the players when he actually said, you know, people throw these words around, you know, character and all. Let's see now what they're made of. And that starts Tuesday night. They have like less than two weeks to get their shit together. Let's actually see the leaders in that group emerge and actually get Cork football back, back at least on the path that they were the night they left Thorless three weeks ago. Okay, so we had a hawking down in Parky Cueve with a, a cakewalk in Crow Park between uh, Dublin and Leash. And 
one-way traffic as well then up in Clonus between Donegal and Fermanagh. A lot of obits being written today about the provincial championship, the provincial championship structure in 2018. I think 51 points was the margin in the three provincial finals this weekend. Is it time for us to up sticks and go a different route? Well, I... In my opinion, I actually think that there's two debates here. I don't think, by the way, that the debate about the demise of the provincial championships should necessarily be stoked by what happened at the weekend. And the reason I say that is there are particular circumstances at play in three, in all three provinces. Number one, as we've just been discussing, you have an exceptional Kerry side against a Cork side that's at the moment in Division 2 and is very much in transition. Number two, it was a big surprise that Fermanagh made an Ulster final. And number three, while Leash actually are on the rise, they're still a long way off. And in terms of even their National League standings, they're still a long way off where Dublin are. So the pairings, Cullen, we had in the provincial finals this year, with probably the exception of Galway and Roscommon, were very lopsided pairings anyway. So... It's probably a little bit convenient and opportune for everybody to come out this morning and say that's the finish of the provincial championships. Now, I do believe that there is a debate about the provincial championships because I do think, and I use the word again, I do think that the provincial championships in football are very lopsided. You cannot have a situation in the same competition where a Donegal might end up playing the teams that they will play And then when you look at Munster, where Kerry will end up scoring 32 points against Clare and and 3-18 against Cork. And so I do think that there is a general discussion, but you are into all sorts of difficult areas there because then you're breaking up the whole fight. You're breaking up the whole provincial system. And and obviously the provincial system is a self-funding system to some degree in terms of the money that they generate from Munster Finals. And where does that come from? Would you be in favour of running it as a, a completely different competition, not feeding into the All-Ireland Series, that you have your All-Ireland Series as a standalone? No, I don't. I, I, I believe that... I, I still believe that for the provincial championships to remain relevant, they have to feed into the All-Ireland system. Because if they don't, we'll, we'll end up with a situation like you might have in the Carabao Cup or something like that, where teams will actually just end up fielding second, you know, second string outfits. You have to have, I still believe, a system whereby the provincial system or the provincial championships feed into the All-Ireland system. And there is an attempt at the moment to have done that with the Super 8s. And like before we start actually throwing out the provincial system and before we start, you know, rewriting the rules again of the GA. I mean, can we at least, let's see how the Super 8s work mm. out. The incentive for getting to a, a provincial final, like Cork, Fermanagh, Roscommon and Leash is, is that they are one game from the Super 8s. Now, A, that's a big incentive to get to a provincial final. And B, the benefits they're from, if they win the next game, column 70 minutes, they're into that elite, almost what I'd like to call Champions League phase and they're obviously going to improve from that. So therefore, the provincial system will still serve a purpose. So let's not throw it in the bin now, just on the basis that we had lopsided provincial finals this year. Where do you stand in terms of a, a second-tier championship in the same way we see with the Joe McDonough Cup, the Christy Ring, the Laurie Mar? I'm, I, I am absolutely for it. Um, uh, you ha- I mean, look, you had teams the weekend, you know, all the teams that lost uh, the weekend in the second round of the qualifiers, they're done. 
they're done for the year now. And I mean, whether you're talking about the Carlos, who gave us great entertainment, the Longfords, obviously, who beat Meath, didn't they, in, in, in the... Uh, they meet, beat Meath previously, they did, sorry. Like, they're gone effectively until next November, December, until they're into the slog of pre-season training again. There has to be, for me some kind of a secondary competition and I do not buy whatsoever and this was the argument you know that ended up with the Tommy Murphy Cup being ditched that that you know you know counties won't be interested in sloppy seconds well it depends how you package the competition it depends how you present it when you run it off when the big games when the semi-finals and finals are played I mean Sean Kelly years ago when he's GA president was recommending that the Tommy Murphy Cup or whatever that second tier competition would be called would be played as a curtain raiser to the All-Ireland Senior Football Final. Now, who would not want to be involved in front of 80,000 people on September 2nd next? I definitely think, for those two reasons, I would be firmly in favour of a second tier competition. But again, are you then in a situation where club championships are going to be pushed back in all of those counties uh, you are and that is something again that's again you're you're taking us down now to a completely different issue but you're right the bottom line then is do you actually have the calendar i mean i don't have a calendar here in front of me but i do know one thing most club sorry most counties have effectively parked their county championships now until august september and october anyway mm. um Certainly any of the leading dozen or 15 counties that I'm kind of aware of, they've basically parked their county championship. They've got a couple of rounds in. They've parked it now and they're going to resume it, in, as I said, in August, September. We are now still only, remember, in the third week of June. So, I mean, you, if, if you actually even had the bottom 16 counties uh, in the country and you were to play that straight off, as in round of 16, round of 8, semi-finals and finals, realistically, you could... I would imagine, conceivably, have that done and dusted maybe in maybe by the middle of August. Okay, we're heading in, as you said, to the Super 8s. We have four provincial champions. We'll know the four teams that will be joining them in two weeks' time. In terms of your ranking for Sam Maguire, are your top four the four teams that are already in the Super 8? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I think they probably are. Um, I think certainly the two counties, you know, if we were actually doing the power rankings this year and you were carrying it from the league through to the championship, you would say you would have anticipated Dublin and Kerry to be number one and two. You were not really sure what Mayo were going to do because obviously they're, they're running on fumes at this stage and exactly as a lot of people predicted if they started getting injuries do they have the backup and they have started getting injuries no you mean they've lost Tom Parsons they've lost Shane Bichet but what I would say is that the two counties that have probably made the greatest leap this year uh, would be Galway and Donegal mm. and it's no coincidence that they are the other two provincial champions so I actually think in terms of your one two three four rankings yeah I actually think the four provincial finalists are currently the best four teams in the country and in terms of who's coming up would you have Monaghan as number five you still have to put Mayo in there uh, you know you have to be loath to to discount Mayo they've just done it for so long and until the day when they they do run out of legs and they do run out of luck and and they're they're beaten and then of course everybody will say ah but sure we told you so we knew it was going to happen eventually nobody knows it's going to happen eventually mm. 
Nobody knows it's going to happen to Mayo until the day it happens. Do I think that they're going to win the All-Ireland this year? No, I don't. I think basically last September was the day. But they would probably still be, you know, five, six territory for me. Um, and realistically, it depends after that. You're talking about Monaghan and you're talking about Tyrone. Um, Kildare and Mayo, for me, is without doubt the most intriguing qualifier. The fact that it will be in Newbridge... You know, the fact that Mayo are hurting at this stage, I still don't feel that Keen O'Neill and Kildare are exactly, you know, shoot, firing on all cylinders. But I still think that there's enough about them in Newbridge to ask further serious questions of Mayo. So I would not, if you ask me at this moment, would you put money on Mayo being in the Super 8s? I wouldn't. After that draw, I wouldn't. Final question, slightly off kilter. Before the game on Sunday, you were out at Cork IT for the Munster ladies football final between Kerry and Cork. Was it a glorious opportunity missed not to have that as the curtain raiser? I know I'll talk about logistics and minor matches and what have you, but you saw what was on display. How good was it? 100%. Um, I must admit I was very disappointed myself that the game, especially having been in Killarney, for the semi-final, Kerry and Waterford was the curtain raiser to, to Kerry's win over Clare. It was no coincidence, Colm, that there was a huge crowd in in advance of Kerry Clare. I'm not certain that the same crowd would have been there for a minor game because I think there is a huge curiosity. Ladies football is on the up. I would absolutely believe the best game of ladies football I've ever seen was last year's All-Ireland final between Dublin and Mayo. Just the power, the pace, the skill, the intensity was just at a pitch that I have not seen. And I've been watching ladies football now for a couple of decades and more. It, it's just at a new level now. And I just think it would have been nice for a general football audience to have seen it in Parky Cueve. I mean, it's embarrassing when you think that a lot of those Cork girls, for all their success, haven't played in Parky Cueve. That, you know, they haven't been inside or on the pitch in the new Parky Cueve. And I like yourself, I get the logistics, but I, I also feel as well, if you want to make something happen bad enough, you'll make it happen and you'll overcome whatever, ob- whatever obstacles are there. Corker's still a good bit ahead of Kerry. I was disappointed with Kerry the last. I know, I know Louise Nimira-Hertig was missing and certainly their attack revolves around her. She's a fine player. Um... But I was disappointed with Kerry in the second half. I thought they they did well, but Cork blew them away in the second half. And realistically, still, I know Dublin are obviously favourites, uh, and and I, you know obviously Galway beat Mayo yesterday. But you know they're all back into the group system again. Uh, I would think if Cork can keep the two O'Sullivans fit, and they can get um, Sarah Shannon to commit. Obviously, she's still with Cork City. She's finished her leaving cert now. But she's a serious talent. She scored 2-2 on Saturday, you know, in the second half when she came on as a sub. So when you have the likes of those three, you have Orla Finn as well, you have Hannah Looney. Like, you have some serious options up front for Cork. So Aoife Fitzgerald has the makings of an All-Ireland winning team. Um, and I think we just got a whole judgment on where Kerry are at the moment. Obviously, they have a new management team, but I don't think we saw them at their best on Saturday. But there was a nice crowd there, by the way. There was, I would estimate... It was probably maybe 1,200 people there. Um, and which, was that a crowd, do you think, that were going to go on to the Munster I, football I definitely fight? think there was a lot of Kerry people I saw 
um, there on the day. There was a healthy Kerry contingent who obviously just decided they were going to come up for the day and they were going to take in the ladies' final before they went down to Parky Cueve. I would imagine, actually looking at the crowd for the minor game in Parky Cueve, that some Kerry supporters actually decided the minor game against Clare, with respect to Clare, is going to be a blowout and that's how it turned out. And I think quite a few Kerry people decided... I'm going to actually go watch the ladies' game against Cork. That's going to be my curtain raiser. And it just would have been better if it was in Parky Cueve. A glossary of GAA terms. Today's term, pull hard. He's no relation. Hang on. Your father wasn't a third cousin once removed of my mother, was he? No? Grandson. Vigorous ground hurling made possible by no familial bond. For the very definition in evocative GAA coverage, read the Irish Examiner's team of experts for insights and precise analysis on all this weekend's action. Only in this Monday's Irish Examiner. We define the games that define your summer. Now, our thanks to Tony Lean for that. We're going to turn our attention to the other provincial finals and uh, John Divley was out and about over the weekend. Uh, John, before we get into the, the Dublin match specifically, we were just talking to Tony about the provincial championships and the lopsided scorelines in the final. What's your stance on the future of the provinces? I'd like the provincial championships to remain um, because I think it's a great competition and it gives you know it gives every county a fighting chance of winning some silverware every year. I, I know in the last few years, obviously Dublin have dominated um, Leinster and that's really the main one. Every other province, there's no real dominance apart from Mayo a few years ago on. Okay, Kerry, obviously, you know, win a couple in a row every now and again, but maybe they can move it back um, a little bit more and have a separate competition where scrap your pre-season competitions, maybe bring the league forward a little bit more. We can we see what a great competition the league is. Then have your provincial championship run off over, you know, three or four weeks, straight knockout competition as it is, and then just start the All-Ireland series um start the All-Ireland series um, in some format of 4-8s or 8-4s, whatever way people think is the best way to run it. But I, I do think there is, uh, it's unfair, it's very, very unfair to a lot of counties um, just to scrap it because the, the the so-called dominant teams are winning it every couple of years, you know? Um, you know. It's not fair in them either. And I don't think Dublin or Kerry or Mayo or Galway or whoever up north, I mean, wanted scrap. So we need to be careful we're not making, you know, massive knee-jerk reactions uh, just because there were one-sided games of the weekend. Okay, well, you were uh, watching one of those one-sided games, Dublin against Leash. It's, it's, I suppose, a huge mark of respect, John, towards Dublin that they can, as their manager Jim Gavin said, play clunky yet still be so clinical in winning 125 to 10 points. Yeah, and they were, you know, they were definitely off form a little bit in the first half. Um, it's not often you see Conor Callaghan having two shots saved and Kieran Kilkenny having a few misses. Paul Mangan was, was off colour as well in the first half and Paddy Andrews, they all were a little bit off colour. Um, no, some of it was down to obviously very, very good, tenacious tackling from Leash, which we knew they'd bring into the game. Um, and, you know, they rectified it in the second half. Uh, but it's Dublin are, you know, just shows the, the class that they have and, and um, you know, the, the, they're showing no signs of letting up and this team is, 
you know, it's a great bunch of individuals that are, are very down to earth and they just go and play football and whatever is in front of them on any given day, they go and do it and if things aren't going well, which at various times yesterday they weren't in the first half, they knuckle down, they don't point fingers, they just get on with it and, and they correct it. And it's, it's like it really is an enjoyable time to, it doesn't matter if you're not from Dublin, I mean, to see the quality of football that they play, it's, 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 you know, it's refreshing the football that they play. You had a very good column in today's paper, John. You were talking about the leash long ball tactic and uh, how it was never going to be enough for them. Are there lessons, though, for the likes of Kevin Walsh and Eamon Fitzmaurice and Declan Bonner to take away from uh, how Leash approached the game? There is, because um, you know Dublin had their two-on-two two in the back. Uh, at times, Johnny Cooper was, was the sweeper. Um, but because Johnny was sitting back a little bit more than usual, Paul Kingston got on a lot of ball and he bypassed Johnny with some good passes. So there's definitely uh, there is definitely food for thought for a lot of teams that will face Dublin down the line. Um, as I say, you know, Philly McMahon struggled at times yesterday. Um, you know, Mick Fitzsimons a little bit, but then Mick, you know, like Mick's that type of player. And even if the first couple of balls don't go his way, he's very experienced and he's a cool head. That he'll, you know, he'll, he'll grow into the game, and he did that. I know him from Sigerson, and that's what he does. So, Mick Fitzsimons will never be cleaned in a game, even though his marker might get some balls. But there is, you know, there definitely is signs. If a team can get that ball inside to the full forward line, make it stick, and have the runners coming on the shoulder, they can potentially hurt uh, Dublin and uh, Leash, unfortunately. I was just very surprised because I've seen Leash once or twice this year, and I just expected Lyle Donahue and Alan Farrell and you know, maybe Lillis and Begley more to come up the field and, and, and um, get on the end of the move. But, you know, look, it's easy for me to say um, I'm not on the pitch and they were obviously so worried about Dublin uh, leaving gaps at the back uh, that Dublin would exploit them, uh, that they gave the ball in, but they just let Evan and Donny predominantly win it and try to do all the work and that's not going to happen against Dublin. I want to ask you about another Evan, Evan Comerford, who uh, made his championship debut in place of uh, Stephen Cluxton. Did it uh, make any difference to how Dublin approached in terms of kick-out strategy, etc.? Not a bit. Not a single bit. I, I stood behind him. I was up in the Davin stand, so I was looking right down on Evan in the first half. and you know, it, really, it was really frightening to see how much like Stephen Cluxton he was ball down quick ping like as soon as he saw the blue shirt with a little bit of space and I mean he put some through the eye of a needle as well you know he took one or two little chances but he got them to his men and um, you know he was very very good a couple of high balls came in he came out and he fisted them away um, and like he had no real shot to save um, you know he was out he was talking you could see him you know while the play was down the field he was out on the 21 21-yard line, you know, calling different guys back at different times. So it was, he was really, really good. And um, I suppose I was a little bit surprised. I've seen him play for DCU. And, you know, I know we targeted him his kickouts before because I, I don't think he has a very long kickout. Um, and we put massive pressure on him before. And I'm surprised Leach didn't really do that more. Like, he only really did it once in the second half. And they managed to turn him over. Uh, I think Donny turned him over, popped it to Evan Carroll. But... Jack McCaffrey hit him with a with a nail or a shoulder and started to move down the field and and but like Lee should have been trying to do that more with an inexperienced you know not very inexperienced but inexperienced at this level you know they should have been trying to you know see 
see what he was made of. But they didn't really, um, and he did fine. He was cool and calm and a really good debut for, for the young lads. Okay, one last question for you, John, in terms of the uh, qualifiers. I know you were keeping an eye on the Mayo footballers very close to your heart on uh, Saturday evening. Uh, are, are they running out of road quickly? Hard to know. I mean, you can't say that they are. They've done the job. They've got through. These games are all about getting through. Um, it'll be a fascinating game against Kildare because both sides are you know, traditional football sides. Kildare won't be ultra-defensive either with Mayo. Uh, Daniel Flynn could get a lot of room. Uh, you saw what Michael Quinlan did, and Paddy Durkin tried his best and did did okay on him. But uh, Flynn could uh, do a bit of damage against Mayo. Um, Kevin Feely could be back to full fitness. He came on, so with Shamie O'Shea out, what's going to happen with Mayo there? I think it's going to be like it's it's the game I'll be going to next weekend. Anyways, I, I think it'll be the game of of the weekend, and uh, it's really hard to call. Um, Kildare will definitely see it as a chance to you know, pull a major scalp, which it will be if, if Kildare can take Mayo. It is a big scalp. Um, Keegan, obviously, Lee Keegan back. Um, James Durkin, you see, scored the one two, and you know he's still unknown at this level. And, and uh, I think Keen O'Neill will really be, you know, doing his homework on on Mayo this week to see can he get the matchups right. Can he, you know, really go at Mayo like Tipperary did for 70 minutes? And if they do, um, Mayo could run out of road to answer your question. Um, but you know, Mayo, if the game is in Crow Park, it's, it'll be an advantage to Mayo. There's talks that it will be in Crow Park. If it's in Newbridge, I mean, you'd have to, you know, slightly uh, go for Kildare. And our thanks to John Divley there and also to Tony Lean. And we better not forget Larry Ryan, the man responsible for putting the podcast together. That's it for this week. Uh, Back again, same time, same place next week. We'll be looking back on the Munster and Leinster hurling finals plus round three of the All-Ireland Senior Football Qualifiers who will be left standing. All will be known, as I said, in seven days' time. Now, don't forget you can uh, log on to uh, iTunes, on to SoundCloud, and to irishexaminer.com forward slash paper talk if you want to download our podcast. Thanks as always for listening, and hopefully we'll have your company again soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 